Hi, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I answer your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and all things relationship-related, submitted to me via Instagram. Follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. And you can also click the link in the show notes to take you straight there. Okay, first up today, we have Sinead who said, my partner follows a lot of attractive women on social media and I feel jealous. Help. So on the surface, this is one of those questions that could go either way, especially when we know we're likely dealing with someone who is codependent or has an anxious attachment style. Because that's who my peeps are. hey yo. So I checked in with Sinead for some more context and spoiler alert, the evidence is damning. A lovely listener told me that she had checked out who her boyfriend was following and found an abundance of babes in his follows. A combination of celebs and women he's recently met in real life. Not that long ago, they moved to a new city together, a new country in fact. Somewhere neither of them knew anyone and when Sinead went home for a couple of weeks, her boyfriend went out clubbing and met and connected with the women he's now following on Instagram. In her words, he engages with a lot of their selfies and has admitted to talking to them in the DMs. When Sinead asked if she could see their conversations, he refused. Oh, I don't know if you noticed a slight breeze there, my lovely, but I think that was the collective sigh of everyone listening to this. Look, I don't know if it helps having it laid out for you like that, using your words, but hearing it from someone else. Regardless, I'm going to break it down for you. Here's the thing. If you check my follows, will you find Momo Muscle, Brock O'Hearn, Shan Sobel and Red Hot 100? <laughs> yes, yes, you will. But will you find me liking every single one of their first traps? No. And will you find me trying to connect with people on IG and slide into their DMs? Also, no. Of course, everyone finds people other than their partner attractive. Of course, everyone finds celebrities and models attractive. But there's a distinct difference between casually admiring a good-looking person and then going about your day. I think of it like looking at a work of art. It's something I do respectfully from a distance and don't attempt to touch. And purposely seeking people out to connect with. The following and liking celeb thirst traps personally does feel a bit gross. I've always found that kind of blatant disregard for a partner's feelings disrespectful. It reminds me of being brought up around lad mag culture in the 90s and 2000s when it was totally normal for your boyfriend, brother or boymates to have copies of FHM, Knots or Zoo lying around. Not to mention topless models in just about every tabloid newspaper here in the UK. It contributed to a culture of openly objectifying and comparing women to unattainable, read photoshopped standards. And quite frankly, it made a lot of us feel like total shit. Those magazines don't exist anymore, but the culture has moved online, with Instagram being the worst platform for it. It's perpetuated by shows like Love Island and the surrounding influencer culture, where heavily edited, unrealistic and homogenous beauty standards are lauded. In the same way, it would feel gross and disrespectful to me if my partner spoke openly and gratuitously about finding a certain celebrity attractive, like beyond, yeah, she's hot, or if they brought home lad mags. It would also feel gross to me if they were consistently checking out and engaging with the 2020s equivalent, which is hot babes on the gram. But hey, that's just me and my personal standards. Some people don't find that disrespectful, 
some people are cool with that. In some relationships, checking out other people is something couples engage in together. And that is totally cool if that genuinely works for you, no shade. But that's not what's happening here. Your boyfriend is not only engaging with unattainable women, he's also engaging with women he's met in real life. And I think this may be one of the cases where Corinne Fisher of the Guys We Fucked podcast's motto is true. No grown man wants to be your friend. He's not connecting with these women because he wants to be friends with them or because he's met them as part of a couple or thinks that you might be able to make some new pals and hang together with their boyfriends as well. Even as I'm saying this, I can hear people screaming at the podcast, of course he's fucking not. The fact that he won't show you their conversations means there's something to hide, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, privacy, blah, 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 whatever. But what about the fact that he is a partner who is sitting there feeling anxious, jealous and pretty shitty and is submitting a question to a podcast because she's feeling so crap about this and there's a simple thing that he could do to soothe her fears and worries, except he can't because those conversations won't soothe you. They will confirm what you already suspect. Let me ask you these questions, my lovely. One, would you do this to him? Would you connect with a load of smoking hot guys, slide into their DMs, then when your boyfriend felt insecure about it, say there's nothing to worry about and refuse to show him the messages? Two, if you did connect with a load of smoking hot guys on Insta, what would be your motivation? Because quite honestly, I know what mine would be. And three, if you did this to him and the tables were turned and he told his mates about this down the pub, what do you think they would say to him? They'd say, she's mugging you off, mate, dump the bitch. Much of the reason you're even questioning yourself and minimising what's going on here is to do with the way that we are conditioned as women in society. We have been trained to collectively gaslight ourselves. Bringing it back to the top, when I asked, does it help hearing it laid out for you in my voice? Because the way I read back the information you gave me, it seems perfectly clear what's going on. In a patriarchal, misogynistic society, we have been conditioned that we need to put up with men's shit. We have been conditioned to stay quiet and be cool. Ugh, the cool girl myth has fucked over so many of us. At best, you're with someone who is rampantly insecure, being disrespectful with his online activities, and using his connection with these other women to artificially pump up his self-esteem. And at worst, you're with someone who is barefaced cheating on you and lying about it. And yes, I just said that maybe he's insecure, and no, that does not mean it's your job to stick around and try and help him or fix him or ask him if he's doing this because he feels insecure you're his girlfriend, not his mom or his therapist. Either way, you're with someone who is showing you super shitty behavior and is closing off and not willing to communicate about it. He's talking to other women that he met when he wasn't with you and he won't show you those conversations. So basically, he's telling you to pop with this because this is what he wants to do and how he wants to operate and you just have to find a way to be chill about it. Is this what you want for your relationship? To be with someone who treats you this way? to be nervous to go home or go away with your girls, to always be anxious every time he's on his phone, which I'm betting is a lot, to always be wondering who he's talking to when he's at work or he's on the toilet because you know he's chatting to these girls when he's having a shit. What was that? Someone just said, I bet he doesn't even wash his hands. Look, now we're just tearing him a new one and we don't even know him. But seriously, these are some major red flags, babe. You came to me because you were concerned about your jealousy. 
But sometimes we're jealous because our partner is doing things that would inherently make any sane person feel jealous. And then they're doing nothing to assuage our worries or reassure us. And I know you've just moved to a new city together, but you're smart and talented and a total babe yourself. It's never too late to start again. You're only a year deep with this guy. And if he's being secretive about it now, he's not going to change. He'll just get better at hiding it or you'll get better at stuffing your feelings and pretending you don't notice, which is a recipe for deteriorating physical and mental health. My advice, cut your losses now. Don't try to make sense of it. Just understand he's not who you thought he was, but he has shown you who he really is. You're not crazy, you didn't cross a line, and you deserve to be with someone who makes you feel loved and secure. You gave him a chance to be honest with you, and he wasn't. Don't waste any more time or energy trying to make this or him any different. Move out and move on. There is a better match out there for you. Okay, content warning for our next question, which is about drug addiction. If that's something that's triggering for you, please take care of yourself and skip the next seven minutes or so. Our questioner wanted to stay anonymous and she said, my baby's dad is addicted to cocaine. It's gotten worse in the last few months. We've not been together since before our daughter was born. She's seven months old now. I can't help myself going out of my way to support him and pick him up when he's at rock bottom. It's affecting my mental health, but I can't not be there for him as I worry he'll end up in a bad place without me. How do I find a balance? I have family and friends supporting me, but I can't help myself going out of my way to check up on him and go out of my way to plan my week around him. I checked in with our listener for more details. I wanted to know if and how his addiction is affecting his relationship with his daughter and his ability to see her and what she is supporting him with and what the general effects of his addiction are. She responded, he went three months without seeing her and is very inconsistent. He doesn't turn up because he's been out somewhere for days. He doesn't contact me and let me know. His phone will just be off for days at a time. I text and call him regularly, nearly every day, to check he's okay. And when he's feeling crap, he stayed over a few times to sort himself out. And then he goes missing again. He spends a huge amount of money, not just on drugs, but stupid things when he's out. Anything from 10 to 20,000 pounds. He has his own business. It's not a small business either, but it's affecting that too. My anxiety is already through the roof and him being in my life makes it worse but I can't draw the line and stop putting myself out there to help him as all his family have given up in the sense that he needs to hit rock bottom and have no one before he gets help. Thank you for trusting me with this question, my lovely, and I'm really sorry that you're going through this. This is super tough, especially because he is your daughter's father, but I'm not going to mince my words on this one. I'm sorry to say that there's only one way forward and it's not about finding some magical balance that will make this all more manageable you have to stop helping him. Just like with our first question, sometimes hearing your own words read back to you by someone else can be a very powerful thing. Did you notice that the way you describe not being able to stop helping him also sounds very much like an addiction? He is addicted to cocaine and you are addicted to him, or at least to helping him. This is exactly why we refer to codependency as an addiction. An addiction is anything that we do to escape or avoid ourselves. Your ex takes cocaine, goes on benders and spends his money and you fill your every waking minute thinking about him, whether he's okay, whether he's alive, if he needs your help. 
I know that it's incredibly hard to watch someone that you love crash and burn but there is a reason that we speak in 12-step recovery about hitting rock bottom and that rock bottom being the solid foundation on which we build the rest of our lives. Every time you swoop in and save him, he never gets to his rock bottom. What you are doing is enabling him. I know it might feel counterintuitive to think this way, but you are actually making his addiction worse by supporting him. He knows that no matter how badly he fucks up, you will always be there for him. He'll always have a roof over his head and a bed to sleep in and someone who cares for him. So why would he stop? Instead of hitting his rock bottom, he lands on top of you. It's like you're his crash mat. And I know that's exactly what you're trying to be because you don't want to see him hit rock bottom. But there is no other way. You've been supporting him already for a long time and nothing is changing. In fact, I'll bet it's getting worse. So hopefully you can understand that what you are doing is actually stopping him from making those changes for himself if he chooses to. And I urge you to think of your daughter in all of this. Again, I know it may seem counterintuitive because you might feel like you are in part doing this for her because you don't want her to grow up without a dad. But you must think of the impact that it will have on her as she grows up and becomes more aware of what's happening to see you continually supporting a person like this. This is the first model of a relationship that she will see. The things that we see and experience before we are five years old are the things that make the most significant developmental impact on our psychology. If she sees her mom unconditionally supporting and propping up an inconsistent drug addict, she is likely to repeat similar patterns when she grows up. If she sees you doing this, she will think it's okay and normal to have a partner in her life who is inconsistent, addicted and dysfunctional. And I know that you do not want that for her. Not to mention the effect it's having on you as a parent. Having a highly anxious mom who is struggling with her mental health is not good for your daughter. Of course, it's not good for you either. But I know that when we're stuck in this kind of cycle, sometimes we need a motivation outside of ourselves to leverage us out of it in the first place. All the moms that I work with, in part, want to change their pattern for the sake of their kids. They do not want their children to have to experience the same pain that they have. So you have to make the very brave decision to stop enabling him and his addiction. And that means that you're going to have to go cold turkey. You need to completely cut him off. He can no longer use you as his safety net. Your priorities now have to be you and your daughter. You have to allow him to get to a place where he's ready to seek help for himself. And the sad reality is that he may not get there or he may seriously harm himself before he does. But you cannot save or fix another adult and you cannot help someone who doesn't want to be helped. But you do have the power to remove this emotional turmoil from your life and focus on being the best mom that you can be to your daughter and getting your own life and sanity back. I would also highly recommend seeking some help for yourself as you withdraw from this addictive behavioural pattern. There are 12-step programmes especially for the families and loved ones of addicts as well as for codependent people. In the show notes, I've linked to the UK websites for Naranon and Alanon, the 12-step programs for the families of drug addicts and alcoholics, as well as Codependence Anonymous. I've also linked to a website with some very helpful articles on enabling and interventions. 
You may also want to consider therapy, coaching or counselling if that's accessible to you as you move through what will be an incredibly difficult time while you opt out of all this chaos and exhaustion that has become your norm. Next up, we have this from Caitlin who said, I feel like the healthier I get, the more disenchanted I feel by my job. I'm a therapist. I wonder whether codependency plays a factor in career choices, especially helping professions. So right off the bat, codependents will find a way to overgive in whatever line of work they are in. I've worked with everyone from creatives and performers to high-powered corporate babes to people in the helping professions and medical fields to stay-at-home moms to students and researchers and everyone in between. It doesn't matter what they do, they'll always find a way to overcommit and overgive. However, it is very common to find codependent people gravitating towards the helping professions, especially ones where we are overworked and undervalued because that ticks all of our old wound boxes of being valued for doing, but never quite reaching that satisfaction point of being valued enough that we can stop striving for validation. And it makes total sense that when we are put in a position to be the caretaker or therapist for our caregivers at a young age, which many codependent people are, that we would gravitate towards this type of profession in later life. Add on top of that the crossover between us often also being highly sensitive people and the trauma response of hypervigilance. These things both contribute to us being intuitive and insightful about the needs and motivations of others and therefore often being naturally good in helping professions and particularly as coaches, counsellors, therapists or alternative healing practitioners. As for feeling disenchanted with your work, I'd be interested to know where this feeling comes from. Is it that you enjoy your work in theory but in practice you find it draining? Or is it more about feeling that you kind of tripped into this line of work and it doesn't really feel in alignment with you anymore as you come to know yourself better? If it's the former, I wonder if you can find a more boundaried way to do your work so that you get more fulfillment from it. Are there particular types of clients that you really enjoy working with? Could you niche down so that you're specializing in an area that really lights you up? And are you charging enough? Do you feel valued for the work that you do? Is there a different way that you could structure your work, say group work or more online work that might give you a way to still be a therapist, again, if that's what you want to do, but so that it's more on your terms? As codependent people, we're not used to asking for what we want and creating circumstances on our terms through boundaries and letting go of what doesn't serve us. Yours could be a situation that's similar to someone coming out of yet another unfulfilling relationship and thinking that they're just going to give up on relationships because it feels so hard all the time. When we have a string of dysfunctional relationships behind us, it might feel like the only logical solution is to just stay single forever. But of course, there is another option. Changing the way that we approach dating in relationships and getting clear on boundaries, wants and needs so that we can have what we ultimately do really want but on our terms. And as I mentioned, it could also be that the effects of your codependency, i.e. being everyone in your life's unpaid therapist and shock absorber, just kind of led you to this career choice. But perhaps now you're healing, you're starting to realise that it's not actually the right path for you. I think a period of reflection is in order. Some time to really sit with yourself and feel into what your next best steps are. There's no rush to take drastic action, but after doing the hard work of getting into recovery, You certainly owe it to yourself to get some clarity on how you'd like to spend your working life. 
Our next question comes from Alice, who asked, can you set boundaries about how other people live, i.e. you can't do drugs? So the short answer here, Alice, is no. But, there's always a but, what you can do and what is far more effective is get clear on what your values are, what's important to you, and what your expectations of a potential partner are. Oh, hang on, wait, am I am I about to mention the lists from episode seven again? I think I might be. If you haven't already, go back and listen to episode seven and write your lists, your must-haves, your nice-to-haves, and your absolute no's for a potential partner. This question in particular is very relevant for me because as someone who has never gotten high on anything except the occasional zoot and doesn't even drink very much, it's really important to me that my person does not take hard drugs, nor would I be turned on by someone giving me Cheech and Chong or functioning alcoholic vibes. But that's something that I have to be clear about upfront. Because we cannot pick a person and then try to retrofit our values to them by force, fear, coercion, begging, pleading, reasoning, bargaining, manipulation, or ultimatums. And you also shouldn't compromise on something that is a significant value or lifestyle choice for you, because that will only end in frustration and resentment later down the line. If you have gotten into a relationship with someone who takes drugs, when you know that is something that you do not want in a partner you have to take responsibility for your needs. You cannot project your boundaries onto someone when the reality is, if this is something you knew was important to you and you ignored it when you got into the relationship, it's not them crossing your boundary, it's you crossing your own. There is one potential small and nuanced exception here. If you are with someone who takes drugs occasionally, once or twice a year, birthdays and Christmas style, I mean, I hope not Christmas, but you get my drift, and you have a level of trust, communication and connection built up, it may be something you could discuss with them, i.e. tell them that it's something that's really important to you, describe what you don't like about it and why it's important to you, and ask them if it's something that they would be willing to change. But you have to remember that this is a request, not a demand and be prepared for the fact that they might say no. So if they say no, what next? It's your move. Remembering that you cannot use begging, pleading, bargaining, or manipulation to change the outcome. So it's literally your move. You either decide that this is something that you can make peace with, and you genuinely make peace with it, no making them feel shit about it, or administering the silent treatment when you know it's about to happen, because remember, you chose this, or you can choose to say, cool, well, that's not going to work for me. Enjoy your drugs. I'm out. This is one of the parts of boundary setting that isn't often discussed. Therefore, it bears repeating. It's a request, not a demand. We cannot change another person. Other people do not want to be changed by us. Any change that comes about for another person is usually not sustainable. Even when people do change and say they did it for their family, for example, usually the core motivation is actually, I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to be the kind of person that my family could love and be proud of. So all sustainable change comes about when we want it for ourselves. So yes, we can express boundaries and ask for people to change. But if they can't or don't want to, our next move has to be based on the information they are giving us not the information we wish they were giving us or what we are holding out hope that it will change into if we either wait around, guilt trip or manipulate them enough. 
And one final question to finish off today's episode with a super quick and dirty answer for you. This one's from Emma who asked, how can you tell when someone is being genuinely nice to you or if they're love bombing you? Okay, so step one, slow down, take your time, see if they can keep it up, who are missus, etc. Should I start issuing innuendo bingo cards to play along with the podcast? But seriously, see if they stay consistent with the level of niceness. Love bombing will drop off after a few weeks or months, and it's going to take you at least a few months to properly get to know someone. If you feel like you're being swept off your feet, it's a pretty good sign that it's probably unsustainable and it's love bombing, or that they're codependent. So what we're looking for is steady loveliness that keeps your feet firmly planted on the ground. I guess another way of saying, are you being swept off your feet is, does it all feel like too much? Does it feel over the top? Does it feel in any way forced or cloying? And if you try to roll it back, are they resistant or offended? If it's any of those things, it's love bombing, or again, possibly someone who is also codependent. Someone who's secure and stable and being genuinely nice wouldn't be offended if you declined a date or an offer from them to pay again or plans for a weekend away too soon. But someone who is rolling out a strategy of manipulation would. Someone who is love bombing you needs to check that you are compliant and willing to go along and be swept away by the apparent romance of it all. So enjoy the niceness, but stay alert and awake. If it feels like too much too soon, trust that. With someone who is genuinely trying to be nice, they will be happy to slow things down and take things at your pace. If it's genuinely good, what's the rush? Your relationship won't be better if you go away together in month one versus month six. So chill your boots, call your jets and trust your gut, or at the very least, your most sceptical friend. And now it's that time in the show where I remind you that my codependency recovery community Wildly Worthy is open for less than £50 a month that you can get access to weekly Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you. So that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialised non-binary people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to or follow the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. Until next time, my lovelies. here i mean you could just text her back and saying he's a cunt just leave him he's an idiot let him have the fucking instagram babes who will never actually get who are completely unattainable uh i mean everyone notices people it's different when you sort of notice someone out or you know but if you really if you really like someone like you don't even you barely even look at anybody else let alone fucking comment on people's pictures or What a knob.